Thank you, Jesus. So um, I want to welcome each and every one of you, especially if you're new with us. Uh, thank you so much for coming out, and I just want you to know wherever you are in your life or your faith journey, 110% you're welcome here. Uh, we're honored that you'd spend your Sunday morning with us. And I do want to let you know that we are in probably hour three, maybe hour three and a half of a five-hour sermon, okay? Be glad that I didn't put you through a five-hour sermon. But in order for you to really understand what we're talking about today, it'd probably be helpful if you, uh, if you get lost along the way, just understand you need to probably go back and watch some of the other sermons leading into this one. But today I want to talk to you about the second coming uh, in quotations, the second coming, and answer the question, was Jesus mistaken? So basically, we're going to talk about the trustworthiness of Jesus, the trustworthiness of Jesus. There are uh, two types of people that I just have no patience for, and maybe you can relate to this, two types of people, uh, liars and fools. I, I, I have no patience for liars and fools because a man or a woman is only as good as their word. And so if a person lies to me, even about something small, if they lie to me, then I can't trust them from there on out. And if somebody is just stubbornly ignorant and foolish about something, especially something important, then I can't trust their word either. And so I just don't have any time for a liar or a fool. During a pandemic, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci, who was trying to lead our country through this un unprecedented time, he made a huge mistake. Initially, he told the American people, he told us that you didn't need to wear a mask. You remember this. You don't need to wear a mask. And then about three weeks, four weeks into it, he's like, no, you do need to wear a mask, and it would be better if you wore two masks. And then he explained, he explained the, the, the change in course. He said, well, I, I lied to the American people for their own good. That hurt the credibility of the health uh, uh, people in our country, didn't it? There's a lady uh, that was recently nominated for a Supreme Court position. And in the hearing that was interviewing her for this position, they asked her a very straightforward question. Can you give for us a definition of a woman? This was her answer. She says, no, I can't. I'm not a biologist. That's what she said. This is a Harvard-educated woman. And, and it's a very straightforward question. And so either she's a fool or she's a liar, and either way, I can't trust, we can't trust her word. And here's the, here's the thing, this is why I bring up this, it's not to be political, it's to say this, that the higher level of authority and influence you have, the more important it is that every single one of your words is trustworthy and true. You understand that? And so that's why we must hold Jesus Christ to the highest standard, because Jesus said of himself, I am the Son of God, and I'm the Savior of the world. I am the King of kings, and I demand that everyone submit to my dominion. And so if you're, gonna, if you're gonna try and step into that position, then that means every single one of your statements has to be above reproach in every way. Absolutely true, absolutely trustworthy. Now here's, here's, I say all that to say this. The passage we're looking at today, many critics of Christianity will point to this passage and say, see, Jesus is not trustworthy. So we're gonna examine that today. Let's all stand together. Mark chapter 13, verse 24. We stand every Sunday during this part of the service because we believe that these are not just ancient books on a page. We believe that these words are inspired by God. They are forever trustworthy and true. Amen? Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. This is Jesus talking. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will not shed its light. 
The stars will be falling from the sky. The powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will send out angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches becomes tender and its sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. My prayer today is that we will have a better understanding of what Jesus meant in, this, in his words and that we'll be reassured that everything Jesus says is true, everything Jesus does is right, and every plan that Jesus makes will come to pass. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this place, and thank you for your word. Uh, we've gathered around it. We've lifted up your names. We've lifted up holy hands. Uh, Lord, we've prayed to you because we long for more of you. We recognize that we cannot live this life, not, not life to the fullest, not the, the epitome of human uh, life, Lord. We can't do it without you. And so, Lord, we, we come here with need. We come here, Lord, desiring to better know you, better follow you. I pray that you honor those requests, Lord. Help us this morning. Speak through me. I'm just a sinner. I'm only saved by your grace. I'm no better than any person in this room, no better than any person that's watching online. These people don't need a word from me. They need something from you. And so, Lord, please, please come and visit with us in a very real and personal way. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment, and let's, let's start today just by praying for Dave. Take a moment and just pray for his healing. Pray for his encouragement. Pray for peace. Pray for family, his family. Uh, pray that the Lord will turn all this around and, and get him back home and, and get him recovered. Lift up Dave. Pray for those that are watching online. We got a lot of people that are sick with COVID or some other uh, illness, and we got people that are on vacation. Pray for them. Pray for the people in your life that you know that are hurting. Ask the Lord to empower you to meet a need. Pray for the people around you that they'll hear a word from the Lord this morning. Take a second and pray for yourself. Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Mark chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus says, in those days, in those days. Now remember uh, the context of this conversation. Uh, this conversation, they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. Uh, Jesus had just told his disciples, the temple's gonna be destroyed, Jerusalem's gonna be destroyed. And his disciples ask a question, Mark chapter 13, verse four, if you wanna look at it, uh, his disciples ask, when will these things happen? What things? Temple destroyed, Jerusalem destroyed. When will these things happen? And so Jesus, sitting on the Mount of Olives, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, those are the five people that are in this conversation. They're overlooking the temple. They're on the Mount of Olives, and they're overlooking the temple, and Jesus begins answering these questions, this question. And so Jesus says, these are the signs. You're gonna see, uh, you're gonna see uh, uh, wars and rumors of wars. You're gonna see earthquakes. You're gonna see famines. A persecution is gonna break out in some sort of way. Uh, and then... After that, there's going to be what Jesus calls an abomination that causes desolation, an abomination of desolation. And we learned a couple weeks ago that what Jesus was talking about there is that something would happen in the temple right around this time, that something would happen in the temple that would so disgust God 
that God would pull back his, his presence and his protection over the temple and over Jerusalem and that all the Jewish, uh, corrupt Jewish leaders and all the Jewish people who had rejected their Messiah, that they would have to deal with the negative consequences of their sinful and rebellious choices, which resulted in a great tribulation, a great tribulation that was so devastating that it, Jesus said nothing like it had ever happened before and nothing like it would ever happen after. Uh, it was so devastating, so terrible. Jesus said, you should do everything within your power to avoid this great tribulation. And we learned last week what Jesus was talking about was an event that took place in AD 70 where the Roman, uh, the Jewish people, they revolted against uh, the Romans. The Romans came after them. They sieged the city for five months. At the end of five months, they broke the city walls down. They burned Jerusalem to the ground. They tore the temple to the ground, and they killed over one million people. It was disastrous. It was beyond anything that had ever happened before. Jesus says, immediately after this tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not shed its light. Verse 25, the stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in heavens will be shaken. Now we have a challenge, all of us in this room, we have a challenge in correctly understanding what Jesus means with these verses. Because most of us have been trained with a premillennial dispensational approach to these scriptures, okay? We've been trained with this left behind. How many of you read the left behind books or watched the left behind movies? Uh, many of you have. If you didn't, then most of the churches that you went to, their pastor was informed by those books and the people that inspired those books. And so this is your understanding. When you read this, you think, okay, well, Jesus is talking about the apocalypse, He's talking about the left-behind left version of the end of the world, the culminating of history. Actual fall, uh, stars falling, uh, actual lunar eclipse, an uh, actual solar eclipse. But I, I would suggest to you, and I'm going I'm to show you, uh, that this is a faulty reading of this passage. We shouldn't ask the question, this is bad Bible reading, never ask the question, what does this mean for me today before you answer the question, what did the original audience understand when these words were spoken? What was the original intent to the original audience of this message? You gotta answer that question first before you can go anywhere else. And so when Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives with Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and they hear these words overlooking the temple after Jesus said, all this is gonna be destroyed, how did they hear what Jesus said? You see, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they were good Jewish boys. They grew up in Jewish Sunday school class. They were immersed in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. They knew it backwards and forwards. They sung songs about it. They knew all the stories. They knew all the prophecies. They were obsessed with it. They didn't have Netflix, so they, they, this is how they spent their time, okay? So they, they know this backwards and forwards. And so when they hear the, the, the sun's gonna stop shining, the moon's gonna stop giving its light, stars are gonna fall from heaven. This is language that is very, very familiar to them. Isaiah describing the fall of Babylon. Isaiah chapter 13, verse one, a pronouncement concerning Babylon that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. Look, verse nine, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the earth a desolation and to destroy sinners. We are already seeing a common language. Jesus is hyperlinking to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 13. Verse 10, indeed, the stars of the sky and its constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shine. So Jesus says, 
God is going to bring judgment upon the Babylonians, and it's going to resemble, in the cosmic place, stars falling from the sky. Ezekiel, describing the fall of Egypt. Ezekiel chapter 32, verse 2. Son of man, lament for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, when I snuff you out, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. I will darken all the shining lights in the heavens over you. I will bring darkness on your land. And so this is what we're learning. From the very beginning of Jewish culture, from the very beginning of the Jewish Bible, when they heard this kind of language, they always associated the stars falling, the moon and the sun not shining. They associated it with governing authorities. It goes back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. God made the two great lights. The greater light to do what? To rule over the day. And the lesser light to do what? Rule over the night. Verse 17, God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. Verse 18, to what? Rule the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was look good. Peter, James, John, and Andrew would not have thought literally about Jesus' words here on the temple, uh, uh, the Mount of Olives. They would have uh, not thought of a meteoric, uh, cosmic, uh, uh, comets falling. They wouldn't have thought about physical disaster. They would have associated these words, these images, with the collapse of nations. This is what happens. They understand this. This is what happens when God's judgment comes upon a kingdom. God's going to snuff out their light. God is going to take away their status and their influence upon the world. Mark chapter Uh, 13, verse 25, the stars will be falling from the sky. The powers in heavens will be shaken. And so if you're going to take a literal reading of this passage, then what you got to do is you got to connect the literal stars falling, the literal sun being black, the literal moon being black, and you got to connect that with the heavens shaking. So what does it literally look like for the heavens to shake? I don't know. I can't even envision what that looks like literally. And so maybe Jesus is talking about something more figuratively. I wonder if there's another hyperlink here. I wonder if this is another quotation from the Old Testament. Well, look at this. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. We've got to be Bible nerds today. That's the only way we're going we're gonna to understand this, okay? Everybody thumbs up. Just stick with me. I promise we're coming somewhere, okay? It's going to be good by the time we finish. And you're going to learn a lot today. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. For the Lord of armies says this. Once more, in a little while, I'm going to what? Shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the, and here's the point. This is why God's shaking. So that the treasures of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. And so this is, this is what Jesus is. He's, he's hyperlinking. He's trying to explain this, that the great tribulation, which we suggested last week that happened in AD 70, Mark the beginning of God bringing judgment on the nations, snuffing out the lights of the kingdom of the earth, diminishing their influence, and God is shaking up the world powers. Why is God shaking up the world powers? So that all the nations will bring their treasures, will bring all the things they value, will bring their crowns to the Lord of armies. God is shaking up the nations so that all the people of the nations, all the tribes of the nations, all the nations themselves will come to God and worship. Mark chapter 13, verse 26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. 
Again, we have a challenge reading this because all of us, we've been programmed, left behind, premillennial dispensationalism. We've been programmed with it. And so we hear this and we think the second coming of Christ, physical, Jesus opening the clouds and coming physically, the end of human history. That's what we think. Uh, problem with that. Major problem with that interpretation. Look at Mark chapter 13, verse 30. Truly, this is Jesus' words, truly, I tell you, this generation. Now, if you study your Bible real, real closely, this is what you'll see. Every time in the New Testament the word generation is used, it's always used within the context of a 40-year window. It's never used in some abstract way where generation could equal race or generation could, use, could, could be some distant, way future distant uh, uh, people groups. Jesus says, this generation, what generation is he talking about? Peter, James, Andrew, John generation. In the Bible, a generation was 40 years. And so Jesus is saying, within 40 years of me making this statement, certainly this generation will not pass away until all these things. What all, what's all these things? Signs, persecution, abomination that causes desolation, great tribulation, gathering of his people, the coming of the Son of Man will take place, Jesus says, within the next 40 years of A.D. Uh, 30. So this passage is either the greatest evidence, one of the greatest evidences of Jesus' divinity because he accurately gave great detailed predictions of the fall of Jerusalem 40 years before it took place, or, or this is proof that Jesus was mistaken and untrustworthy. Because he said it's going to happen within the next 40 years. Okay, so, so what do we make of this? Because did Jesus come back in AD 70? Did he come back physically to the earth? He didn't, did he? So was Jesus mistaken or are all of us like in really bad shape and we just don't even know it? Which one is it? Okay, let me show you what's going on here. Everything we've talked about so far has been a quotation from the Old Testament, right? Been very clear. Okay, so I wonder if Jesus' words here is also a hyperlink to something that was said in the Old Testament. One time in all the Old Testament is this language used, and it's in Daniel chapter 7. It's the only place in all the Bible that this language, the Son of Man coming in the clouds, is the only time it's used, Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel, he's seen this prophetic vision of the unfolding of history, and he, he describes four animals. These four animals represent different kingdoms. You, you remember this, don't you? Okay, so you've got the animal is a lion, the first one he sees. The lion represents Babylon, which is the ruling power during Daniel's time. Daniel looks in the future and he says that there's an animal coming after this, and this animal is a bear. The bear represents Persia, which conquered Babylon. But then after that, there's another animal that comes. It's a leopard, and the leopard represents Greece. But then there was an animal after that, the fourth animal. And he described this animal as an iron beast that was so ferocious, it devastated everything in its wake. And so Daniel says that this beast is going to destroy all the other kingdoms. It's going to have this great world power, domination. This animal, this iron beast, represented Rome. And so Daniel looks into his future, and he sees during this iron beast reign that God is going to do something to vindicate his people and bring about the kingdom of God. Something glorious, something very hopeful is going to happen during that time. God's going to bring judgment against all these corrupt generations. Now look at this, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming 
with the clouds of heaven. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? What happened? The, the Son of Man would come in the clouds. Where does he come? But see, this is the way we think about it because we've been trained left behind series. We think that Jesus is talking about the Son coming to earth. The heavens open up and the Son coming to earth. But where does, where does the Son of Man come, according to Daniel? He comes to the ancient, he approached the ancient of days. Who's the ancient of days? It's the Father in heaven. And so this isn't, Jesus isn't talking about here him coming to earth, AD 70. He's talking about him coming to the Father. He's talking about him coming, ascending to heaven, to his throne, to his rightful place. And so Jesus is saying that all these things are going to be indications, going to be a sign that I've ascended to heaven. What's going to happen? Verse 14, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that every people, what people? Every people, Democrats, Republicans, atheists, agnostics, every people, uh, rich and poor, skinny and fat, every people and every nation, America, Russia, China, Afghanistan, Ukraine, we could go on and on, and every nation and every language, Mandarin, English, Spanish, Japanese, every language should do what? Serve him. All the languages, all the peoples, all the nations serving Jesus. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. And so, so what Jesus is talking about here is not his second coming at the end of history, his physical second coming at the end of human history. Instead, Jesus is talking about his coming to the throne at the beginning of messianic history. Jesus says in and around AD 70, it will appear as if everything is falling apart and God's plan has been derailed. It's gonna appear that way. It's gonna appear, it's gonna feel like the, the governing authorities have fallen from the sky. It's gonna appear like all the light of the world has just been completely covered over and there's only darkness. It's gonna appear that way. It's gonna appear like everything is falling apart, but Jesus says it is not the end, it is just the beginning. It is the beginning of the kingdom of God upon the earth. So he says, be watchful. This is the, the message, one of the messages all throughout the New Testament. Understand, everything written in the New Testament was written before A.D. 70. And so when they say, be watchful about the end, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about the end of the Jewish age and all the calamity. So Jesus says, be watchful. Be watchful about this because I want to spare you the pain of the great tribulation. All you Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, flee to the hills when you see the army surrounding Jerusalem. It's going to take place when the Jer Jer uh, Jerusalem is invaded by Rome. But he also says in this same passage, he's saying, be hopeful, be watchful, but also be hopeful. Look forward to that day because on that day, the political sun, moon, and stars are gonna be snuffed out. All these corrupt governments and kingdoms are going to lose their ultimate influence and authority upon God's planet. And the world powers are gonna be shaken. Why? When Jerusalem falls, you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt the righteous judge, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God, the son of God, the savior of the world, the king of kings, he is setting on his throne. 
See, when it happens, this is what you're going to know, because I predicted it 40 years before it happened. And so when it happens, when Jerusalem's fallen, and you see the smoke rising up from the temple, you can know that God, that Jesus Christ has also ascended, and he's sitting on the throne, and he has judged the nations, and now he has ultimate a dominion. All the nations will begin to serve him. All the people groups are going to begin to serve him. All the languages are going to begin to serve him. He is the king of an expanding kingdom. He's a, the king of a, a kingdom that will have dominion that's everlasting. It will never be destroyed. Verse 27, Mark chapter 13. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds. Again, we have a hard time with this. Left behind, premillennial dispensation, because we read this and we think, well, that's obviously the rapture, right? Because that's what, kind of what it sounds like, doesn't it? Okay, so what's going on here? Where were the angels in AD 70? See, Jeff, this is some distant future event. Okay, so the word angel is the Greek word angelos. It's the Greek word angelos. Most often in the New Testament, it's not translated as angel. It's translated as messenger. So in Luke chapter 7, uh, uh, Luke is describing John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus. And, and John sa- or Luke says of John that he is the angelos sent to prepare the way for the Lord. He is the messenger sent to prepare the way for the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul is talking about he's got a thorn in his side, and he prays and prays and prays, God won't take it away. And he says this thorn was given to him by an angelos of Satan, a messenger of Satan. So this is what's happening. Jesus, uh, the, the fall of Jerusalem, this great tribulation, uh, this destruction, it is a sign that God, Jesus has judged the nations, and he's sitting on his throne. And Jesus, the king, now sends out his royal ambassadors to the ends of the earth in order to gather the elect. Again, we we struggle with this because we think gather, that equals rapture. Okay, this word, never translated rapture. The word rapture is maybe in the New Testament one time. Uh, This word is a word that literally means to synagogue or to congregate. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, same exact setting, same exact conversation. Look what Jesus says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to what? Gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you were not willing. It's about gathering. It's about congregating. It's about synagoguing. It's about assembling, assembling the elect, the, the ones that uh, are Christians from the ends of the earth. So what's happening here? Acts chapter one, verse seven and eight. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has sent by his own authority. And so they're, they're asking Jesus, okay, when are you going to institute, uh, reinstitute Israel is what they basically ask. They don't know what they're asking, but really what they're asking is, when will you establish the kingdom of God upon the earth? Jesus said, it's not for you to know that, Instead, this is what you need to focus on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my angelos in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Friends, this isn't talking about the rapture. This is about the king's ambassadors announcing the good news to every corner of the earth, heralding Jesus Christ as the resurrected king, urging people to submit to his rule and reign and become citizens of his heavenly kingdom. Mark chapter 13, verse 28. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprout leaves, 
you know that summer is near. Okay, so a tree sprouts and blossoms. Shortly after that, what will you expect to find on a fruit tree that has sprouted and blossomed? What would you expect to find? Fruit, right? Not a turd, not traffic tickets, not cancer, right? Now, this is the way most Christians have been programmed to think about the unfolding of history, that uh, all these things are going to happen, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse, and at the end of this is going to be something terrible. But that, is that how Jesus is describing it? It's not what he's describing here, is it? He says, uh, what, what you're going to see is that the, the tree is going to blossom, and then at the end of the, the tree blossoming, you're going to find some sweet fruit. He says, you'll know that summer is near. Uh, okay, so I have friends from Alaska. They moved to Kentucky for a reason, okay? Because winter, winter sucks, right? Nobody likes winter. Uh, there's a, a C.S. Lewis quote that I love. Can you imagine uh, always winter but never Christmas, right? That's the only good part about winter is Christmas. Amen? Okay, and so we know, nobody, Jesus, Jesus is not saying, okay, we're heading into winter. That's not what he says, is it? He says we're heading into summer. Summer's marked by celebration. Summer's marked by watermelon. Yeah, you know, it's, it's marked by cookouts. It's marked by time with family. It's marked by new life. Okay, so, so here's the image that Jesus is painting. Jesus is telling us when you think about the unfolding of history, think about a tree that sprouts good fruit. Think about the early spring flower that breaks through the melting snow. There is not cold and dark and lifelessness in our future Christians. There is warmth. There is light. There is sweet abundance. There is new light. Christian, there is not defeat and death in our future. There is vindication. There's victory. There's healing. There's wholeness. There's rest. There's rejoicing in what God has in store. Verse 30, truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things take place. From day one of his ministry, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is what? Near. He says, it's near. It's at hand. It's so close that you could reach out and touch it. Not some distant future thing. Jesus says, no, it's near. Mark chapter 13, he tells his disciples, you'll see the far of Jerusalem, and you'll know when Jerusalem falls that the kingdom of heaven is near. The old is gone. The new has come. Friends, we don't have to wait to see the kingdom of heaven. We are living in it right now. Christ is the king of heaven and earth. He is ruling and reigning as we speak. We are living in his world right now. And the world is going to increasingly grow glorious and glorious. Okay, right now we are in, and this isn't to be political, this is a I'm making a point, okay? Uh, things were fairly well financially, economically, uh, as far as uh, certain things. Uh, and then Biden has been president for a couple years, and things have gone downhill. We can all kind of agree on that. Inflation, and it seems like a lot of just insanity going on, okay? We can all kind of agree on that. And so who gets the blame for it? All right, we're all like, thanks, Joe, right? I could say some other things, but thanks, Joe, right? Because he's in charge. And so he gets the blame. Okay. So as Christians, if we're saying today that Jesus Christ is sitting on his throne and the world is getting worse and worse and worse, what does that say about our king? 
That's not a good, that's not a good endorsement of our king, is it? Why am, I, why am I harping on this? Why have I spent so much time trying to unpack this? It would be a lot less stressful for me to have preached left behind eschatology to you. You realize that? A lot less stressful. But friends, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. And that interpretation is not consistent with Scripture. And worst of all, it is not advancing the kingdom of God. For too long, Christians, informed by Left Behind series, informed by John Hagee and all all the like, they have let the newspaper interpret the Bible. You see that? They've let the newspaper interpret the Scripture. And so when I was growing up, uh, Saddam Hussein was the Antichrist. And Iraq was the beast. You remember that? That was, that was the, the theory. And then Saddam got replaced by Osama, Osama bin Laden. Now he's the Antichrist, and Al-Qaeda's the beast. And then before that, it was Hitler, and before, and then Stalin, and then Castro, and, you know, it was, it was Cuba, and it was Russia, and it was Nazi Germany, and we could go on and on and on. Now it's Bill Gates. Apparently he's the Antichrist, and the vaccine is the mark of the beast. And I, I'm not sure, you know, what, what all else, but there's a lot of theories out there. Here's the problem with letting the newspaper interpret your Bible. Number one, the newspaper gets paid for selling clicks. You understand that? They get paid for selling clicks, and the thing that gets the most clicks is not good news. What is it? Bad news. And so the newspaper has a lot of us programmed that everything is terrible. And things, I'll get, to, I'll get back to this in a second. Things aren't great, Okay. Admit that. But the the newspaper has us all freaking out because they get paid when we freak out. That's why the weatherman, he always tells you, instead of like the accurate prediction, there's going to be an inch of snow, it's going to be 10 inches of snow because he wants you tuning in for the next week. Right? So that's the number one problem. Here's the other problem. These predictions about the Antichrist and the beast and everything else have never, ever, ever been right for 200 years. In 1988, the guy I told you about this a few weeks ago, he wrote the book, 88 Reasons the World Will End in 1988. 1988 came and went. Guess what he did? He published a book the next year, 89 Reasons the World Will End in 1989. Here we are, dozens of years later. We're still here. Every one of these predictions came and went, and it left Christians disillusioned in its wake. It left Christians in despair in its wake. It left Christians doing terrible, stupid things with their life, dropping out of school, not getting married, not buying a house because they thought the world was going to end in 1989. Here's the biggest problem. This way of looking at the culmination of history, it encourages Christians to despair and withdraw. If your view of the uh, unfolding of history is doom and gloom, it's never going to get better, then why try? Why try if that's your view of how things are going to unfold? If your view is, and, and this is what we're saying, folks, when we give into that, this is what we're saying. We're saying the church is weak. The gospel is not effectual in any way. We, we, we can't make a difference. And so we look at the world and we say, I'm tired. I heard somebody say this not too long. I'm just tired of living in this hellhole. I'm tired of it. And I just want Jesus to come back and, and rescue me from this. And until he comes back, I'm just going to hide out. Christians used to be pioneers. You realize that? Christians used to be at the forefront of science. 
and, po- and politics and, the, and philosophy and thought and practice. Christians used to produce the greatest art in all the world. You go to these museums that have billions and billions of dollars worth of art, and it's all Christians, and most of it is dedicated to Christ or one of his disciples. The greatest music ever composed. Christians. We were at the forefront of all that. Let me show you a picture here. This is an image of the Church of the Nativity. It was built in 325 A.D., so it's over 1,600 years old. Christians used to build churches that would serve their children, their grandchildren, their great, 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 great grandchildren, generation after generation after generation. Now I want you to think about all the new churches that are being built now. They're made of sticks and tin. They're not made to last because there's so many Christians believing that this world isn't going to last, that we're part of the last generation. Somewhere along the way, we stopped building, we stopped creating, we stopped innovating, we stopped progressing for the glory of God and the good of humanity. We stopped wanting to bless the generations and build for the future. Friends, this is not the right attitude that God wants us to have. Jesus said, Mark chapter 13, verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. Nations will rise and fall. Kingdoms will come and go. It's gonna appear the sun's gonna stop shining. It's gonna appear that the moon is gonna stop giving its light. It's gonna appear that stars are falling from the heaven. It's gonna appear like the world has come to an end. But Jesus says, don't let the newspaper interpret the God's word. Don't be alarmed. Don't be deceived. Jesus says, my words will never pass away. My plans My promises, my purposes will never pass away. Friends, we have every reason to have an optimistic and victorious view of the future. Let me say that again. We have every reason to have an optimistic and victorious view of the future. Why? Because Jesus Christ is enthroned in the highest heaven. Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and earth. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All his enemies are being put under his feet. The gospel is the power unto salvation, the power of God unto salvation. God is mighty to save. Jesus prayed, Jesus prayed, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think Jesus' prayer is going to be answered? I do, and you should, because he has never failed. I urge you, believers, trust Jesus' plan. Trust his promises. Trust his power. Believe, believe that the world will be Christianized. Isn't that an unbelievable thought, that the world to be Christianized. Believe that the gospel will be effective. Believe that the church will be fruitful and multiply, that we will fill the earth and subdue it. Believe that we will disciple the nations. Believe that every people, every tribe, every language, every nation will serve Jesus Christ the King. Isn't that what Daniel 7 said? Believe it. The goodness and glory of God will cover the face of the earth. And then, and then, once this garden of Eden that God has gifted us with to cultivate, 
to watch, tend, and keep. Once it expands its territory to cover the face of the earth, then the world will be ready to receive her king. And it's at that point that the heavens will open up and Jesus will physically come and descend to heaven and walk once again with his people. Friends, God will fulfill his promises. And I would argue that the world is getting better. You don't see it because many of you grew up in the 90s and the 90s were awesome, right? The 90s were incredible. I wish that I could raise my kids in the 90s. There were good movies in the 90s. There was good music in the 90s. Some of the clothes was whack. I will have to say that. We didn't have that figured out. But in the 90s, you could get on your bike and you could just drive all around Winchester with not a care in the world, not a worry. So much better. UK basketball was good in the 90s. Right? And so 2020, 20, this, this decade is driving me absolutely insane. Isn't it? There's all sorts of craziness going on, and I wish that I didn't have to deal with any of it. Here's the problem that we make. We judge the unfolding of history in five-year increments. That's a mistake. Is there any person in this room who would trade places with somebody who lived in the 1700s? You know they didn't have uh, indoor cooling or plumbing. They didn't have microwaves or dishwashers. They didn't have uh, this phone where if you, uh, you hear a song and you don't know what the, the name of the song or who wrote it, you, you can figure it out. They didn't have that. Didn't have internet. Didn't have cars to get around. Couldn't travel the world. Uh, would, would a person in the 1700s, would they trade places with somebody that lived in the 1300s during the Black Plague? I don't think so. Would somebody in the 1300s trade places with somebody that lived in the 300s where Christians are being uh, covered in, in animal skins and then thrown in the Colosseum and eaten alive by animals? No. Friends, the world is getting better. And, and it's cyclical, you know. It, it's a process, and it's not just like a linear, oh, here we go. It ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys. But we're growing. We're progressing. Things are, things are moving in the right direction. Average life expectancy in our world today is higher than it's ever been. When I was growing up, you would see commercials on, on TV all the time for sending money to feed the starving kids in Africa. How many of you remember those commercials? We don't see those commercials as much anymore. You know why? Because world hunger has almost entirely been eliminated. Uh, world illiteracy almost entirely uh, uh, taken care of, obliterated. There's less violent deaths every year than ever before. Less violent deaths. There's more access to clean water. There's less racism than ever before. There's less domestic abuse than ever before. People have more leisure time than ever before. Friends, there are more Christians living today than there have ever been in the history of the world. There are more churches today than at any point in history. This is good news. It's good news. It's reason for optimism. I could go on and on and on, and I will admit we're living in dark times. Wars and rumors of wars, inflation, food shortage, uh, just all sorts of deviancy, all sorts of craziness, all sorts of like just senseless violence, and I get it. Greed in business, corruption in politics, violence on the streets, perversion in schools, 
all sorts of stuff. But the Lord will snuff out their light. He will take their influence away more and more progressively. He's going to shake the nations so that all people will be drawn to him. I can already see it starting. The dark lies are being exposed. They are. They are. There's a documentary that just recently came out. What is a woman? You guys heard of this? What is a woman? A guy named Matt Walsh. You should check it out. But the lies are being exposed. See, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. For the next month, godless culture will flamboyantly celebrate and, and, and pride in their rebellion for the next month. For a whole month, they're going to celebrate it. And their deviancy is going to be on full display in the streets. No holding back. It's all on display. More and more, this is happening. I could show you a picture that I saw on Twitter yesterday of a family-friendly drag show in Dallas, Texas. It happened uh, this weekend. And these, these uh, some toddlers giving money to these drag queens who are dancing provocatively in a gay strip club, okay? And this is happening right now. Okay, so more and more that this happens, this is what's going to happen. It's already happening. Normal people, normal people, their eyes are going to be open. And they're going to see that all this stuff is absolute evil. And it's a slippery slope that goes in a destructive cycle, a feedback loop that just goes down and down and down. And that life and this godless culture, there is no benefit to it. It does not lead to life. It leads to death and destruction. And as people move farther and farther towards family values, traditional values, this is what they're going to see. It's not enough to be, quote, unquote, conservative. That's not enough. You've got to have a foundation under that. There's got to be truth under it. Or it's just one opinion against another opinion. And so when they start looking for the truth, who are they going to find? They're going to find Jesus. That's what's going to happen. And I believe in our lifetime, there is going to be a revival in the West unlike anything we've ever seen before. I believe it. I believe it. Restored affection for Christ. A renewed trust in the church. A restored reliance on the Bible. A rebirth of peace and prosperity in our land. And friends, between now and then, this is what I would encourage you to do. Do not be deceived. And do not be in despair. I know things look bad sometimes. But this is not the end. This is the beginning of a better and brighter age because Jesus Christ is on the throne and nothing can stop him or his people. So persevere. Through the trials, through the tribulations, preach the gospel and build a life, build institutions that you want for your great, 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 great grandkids. Create the world that is worthy of our king. That's our job. That's our job. You gotta believe that we can do it. You gotta believe we can do it, or you won't fight. Let's all stand together. Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that we're just inspired today to really believe your word, to really believe that you are capable of all the things that we say you're capable of, that you, Lord, can change this whole world around. You can shake it to its core so that every nation comes and bows before you. Lord, help us to believe that in history, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. In history, it will happen. And that you've got a plan and a purpose for your church 
to advance against the gates of hell and push back darkness and be the light of the world. You have a plan for us to do that. And the thing that you've called us to, you will equip and empower, empower us for. And so, Lord, help every person in this room believe that they're part of that plan. They're part of that purpose. And so they have a gigantic destiny. Lord, help us to believe it. Help us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing a song of invitation, a song of celebration. In the back, we've got communion elements. Uh, they, Jesus said, this is my body and blood. And I can't explain to you the mystery, but this is what I believe. Every time I put that, that cracker and that juice in my mouth, somehow, somehow that is the body and blood of Christ. And I connect with it, and it connects with me, and I'm abiding in Christ, and he's empowering me, and he is the champion. He is the undefeated king. And so we, we identify with him today. As you take those emblems, I'd encourage you to just celebrate the victory of our king. If you're here today and you're carrying a burden that's too heavy for you to carry, I, great, I, I got great news for you. Jesus Christ has defeated death, devil, darkness, and the grave. And if he's done all that, if he's conquered the world by his love, then what can't he do for you? If you're here today and you're carrying a burden that's too heavy for you to carry, will you please come and just kneel at this altar? Let one of our prayer warriors pray over you. If you're here today and you're far from Christ, you're not even sure if you're saved, you're not even sure if these promises apply to you. I, I, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. If you have not surrendered to Jesus Christ as your king, there is no future for you. There is no future for you. And so if you want the blessings, if you want the promises, if you want Jesus today, man, Jesus said, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The door is open today. Come and speak with me. Let me pray with you and talk to you about your next steps. As we sing this song, come.